Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Thank you. That was wonderful. And thank you, Naist, for our scripture reading today. This is why um, this is why we have lay readers because. Um, when you read biblical stories, there's all of these uh, place names that are so hard to pronounce, and I can't pronounce that, so I was very glad to have Naist uh, (laughs) do that so well, and I think it was done with a Welsh accent, which, you know, made it that much more special, so thank you so much for that. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we're so thankful to you for your presence, for your strength, for your encouragement, for your patience. We thank you for the scriptures that guide us, that uh, encourage us, and we pray now that as we reflect on your word, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would all be, give glory to you. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So as you've heard over the past few weeks, we're, we're making our way through the book of Exodus, but we're kind of, we're kind of backing and forthing our way through the book of Exodus during these weeks leading up to Easter. So, you know, we've jumped ahead and we've, uh, we've skipped over some passages that we'll probably come back to during Holy Week. Um, but at this point, uh, in chapter 14, the Israelites had left Egypt. Finally, they were on their way into the wilderness, headed to God knows where, literally. God knew where they were going, but at this point, they still had no clue. So the plagues had worn down Pharaoh to the point of exasperation, and he finally gave in after, after all the plagues, he gave in, and he finally said go, and he allowed Moses to lead the Israelites away from Egypt and into freedom, or towards freedom, uh, that God had planned for them. But now, now the plagues are gone, right? Now there's no more flies, and there's no more frogs, and there's no more blood in the river, the storms had settled, and, and everything was calming down, and, and the Israelites are making their way uh, out, of, out of Egypt. But they're not out of the woods just yet. Pharaoh had forgotten here that the one he was dealing with was not Moses. It was Yahweh. So I try to imagine this scene with Pharaoh in his palace with his advisors all around him saying, what kind of fools were we to let our free labor force go? Who will finish building our grand cities now? Who will keep production going so that I can continue to grow my wealth? Right? Will we have to force Egyptians into the brickyards to work like the slaves had before, that means we'll have to actually pay, for, pay them for their work then. And that's going to cut into my profits. He was afraid here. He, all of a sudden, the realization had set in that, he was, that this was going to affect his power in the land. And that fear drove him to want to regain control. 
So Pharaoh gathered his army. It says 600 chariots and officers. And he himself mounted his royal chariot and he led the charge uh, as they headed out after the Israelites to overtake them. And they wanted to recapture them and bring them back into Egypt to work for them again. Now the Egyptian army has no doubt about their power to overtake them. It says rightly that the Israelites, having never been outside of Egypt in 400 years and weakened by a hard life of Egyptian slavery, would become lost and discombobulated in the wilderness. Well, the Egyptian army is familiar with the surrounding areas, and they're strong, and they're powerful, and they have horses and chariots, and they're, they have, uh, they're well-armed, and they have armor to protect them. Except they don't realize that it's not an army of Israelites that they're dealing with. It's the one-person army of Yahweh. As Pharaoh is mounting his offensive, and as the Israelites are journeying through the wilderness, Moses receives an instruction from God. And acting on that instruction, he tells the Israelites to turn back. To turn back. To turn back from where, we don't know, but it doesn't really matter. What we know is that they're turning back towards danger, towards the army, the Egyptian army. And then Moses tells them to stop, to stop journeying forward and to set up camp, which is a place to rest and to recover their energy, right? So they're told to stop and set up rest on the edge of a sea. Now, it's debated among scholars what sea they encamped on. It might be Lake Serbonis or Lake Timsah, but it doesn't really matter. It's a significant body of water, and they are not fast swimmers. It definitely feels strange as you read this passage that they stop and rest here. Because in the next breath, God tells Moses that he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh's army will begin to pursue them. So this doesn't seem like a propitious time to stop and rest. But this isn't about how skillfully the Israelites can, can fight. Nor is it about how fast they can run. This story this biblical passage is about what God can do, what God will do for his beloved children. In verse 9, it says, Pharaoh's army is right on the heels of the Israelite encampment. The sea is in front of them. Pharaoh's army is behind them. Now, if they wanted to flee, they simply couldn't. And so the Israelites panic. They become terrified, and rightfully so. They're in a very dangerous situation. Who wouldn't be terrified? The Israelites see the massive Egyptian army bearing down on them, and they think they're all about to die and be buried in the desert sand. 
And from this place of fear, they rise up and they become angry and they blame their leader, Moses. They feel they have, that he has led them out of their life in Egypt, less than ideal though it may be, and straight into a death trap. What would you have done in their situation? How would you have felt looking at this Egyptian army bearing down? Would you have lashed out at Moses too? Or would you have headed for the sea and started swimming and hope for the best? Or would you have sunk down into the sand in despair? Would you have gone Rambo and run toward the Egyptians, fist flying in a futile attempt to defend your life and the lives of your family? How do you react when you're faced with fear, when you're faced with a real threat and danger? Fear is one of the most powerful emotions. For some, when we panic, our natural tendency is to flee or avoid the thing that we're afraid of. For others, when we feel threatened, our tendency may be to become aggressive and try to take control of the situation. Or we might lash out at others like the Israelites did and try to point fingers. We've probably all heard the natural human fear response is called fight or flight, right? Well, there's actually another F word that is a common human reaction to panic, and we're keeping it clean here, right? We're keeping it clean here. That is to freeze, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And these are very natural human reactions to overwhelming fear. We resort to these reactions without even thinking about it. They're part of our evolved biology. These responses to threat or danger have been necessary to the continuation of the human species. We need to be able to respond to fearful situations in order to survive. And sometimes fight or flight or freeze is the most appropriate response. Even though our ra we are rational beings, these real responses can still affect our behaviors and our choices. So, for example, someone who is afraid of flying, right? They may never have flown, but they're afraid of flying. They don't know what to expect. And they might choose to stay home their whole life. And then they miss out on the joy of adventure and the enrichment of experiencing different places and cultures. They've allowed that fear to control them. Someone who fears commitment might start silly fights and push away all potential relationships and thus never experience the deep loving intimacy of marriage. If someone is afraid of confrontation, then instead of speaking up to someone who has hurt or offended them, they might just avoid the conflict and bury their resentment or withdraw and walk away uh, altogether from an otherwise loving and fulfilling relationship, and so on. There are many responses to fear. 
whether we react to fear with fight or flight or freeze, what we're lacking here is a fourth F word, faith. Faith. As rational beings, we do have this biology that, you know, causes us to have natural responses, but at rational, as rational beings, we can choose not to give in to that impulse to fight, flee, or freeze, and to instead live by faith. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. It's not easy to just overcome millions of years of evolutionary biology, right? It's incredibly difficult, and living by faith takes a lifetime of practice. Moses himself had reacted out of fear several times by this point in the, in the biblical narrative, right? Using all three fear responses just by himself. But he had come to see that when we allow our fear to control us and determine our actions instead of faith, we're living into death. We're living into enslavement instead of living into abundant life and freedom, the abundant life and freedom that we've been given in Christ. We face our fears with faith. It can be the catalyst for our growth as a person and as a Christian, and it leads to freedom. Taking into account all that Moses had done for the Israelites up to this point, all that he had gone through, and the courage and integrity he had shown up to this point, what the people say to him now is actually downright mean. The fact that they attack him and point fingers is kind of unfair, right? But fear can do that to people. Fear can make us be the worst version of ourselves. By this point in time, though, Moses himself had grown in his faith by leaps and bounds as he had learned to put his faith in God. So this isn't the same Moses from a, a few chapters ago who was whining, I can't do it, I can't do it, send someone else, right? He, at, at this point, he has seen with his own eyes the power of the Lord, how God protected the Israelites on the night of the Passover, how God made Pharaoh release the Israelites from slavery. Moses had seen with his own eyes that God is trustworthy, and that God is capable, and that God is powerful. So Moses didn't respond to the people's personal attack on him with indignation, but with even greater faith. He looked at the people with compassion, and he thought, this is the way people are, right? They're scared, and rightfully so. What they need now is a little encouragement. His experience of God had shown him that the solution to their predicament was not to flee or to fight or to freeze in despair, but to stand firm and to keep still and trust God. Listen to these verses again. Listen to these verses 
and think about whatever fear or challenge you are facing in your own life right now. And let these words settle into your heart. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Here the firm faith of Moses is contrasted with the vacillation of the people. They are the people of God, right? The Israelites. And he was raised as an Egyptian, but he has seen with his own eyes the faithfulness of God. And so he assures them, he reassures them, stand firm, stand your ground, don't be overwhelmed by your fear, don't give in to it. Don't give in to it. Just watch what God is going to do. You're going to be amazed. This is a big shift from the Moses who not long ago was saying, oh Lord, please send someone else, right? Again and again, because he experienced the fear, he experienced that and, and he did what he was called to do anyway. He had the blessing of seeing with his own eyes that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy, that God is worthy and des deserving of our faith. Exodus 14, 14 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's a verse that I now bring to my mind whenever I am confused, frustrated, anxious, or overwhelmed. I recall a situation I was in one time when I was, I was leading a church through a difficult decision, a decision that was, I knew was going to elicit highly uh, emotional responses for many people, right? I knew what had to be done. I knew what the right decision was for the well-being of the community, but I also knew that there would be a lot of emotion and a lot of anger and a lot of pushback, and probably a lot of it would be directed at me. And often when I'm in situations like this where I'm trying to, trying to make, a, make a decision, I'll ask myself, is this a hill that I want to die on? <laughs> right? And most often the answer is no, right? But in this case, it was a clear Yes, this decision was important to the life and well-being of the congregation. As I was thinking and praying about how I was going to lead through this challenging situation, this verse came up on my morning prayer app one day. And it was a verse I had never really noticed before. And it spoke right into my heart and right into the situation. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. What a relief it was to know that I could leave this challenge in God's hands and trust in him. That it wasn't all up to me. 
that God would fight for what was right, right? To this day, it is still the verse I carry in my heart when I'm faced with challenges or frustrations, whenever I feel under personal threat, whenever I feel discouraged. All of those things can, can, can prevent us from living into our divine calling. But they crumble when it is the Lord who is fighting on our behalf. When we really learn to trust in God's power to save us, to fight for us, it's often when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Or between a raging army and a, a dark, deep ocean. We can use our fear in these circumstances to learn to grow in our faith, to learn to not give in to, to those natural tendencies and to choose faith. Actor Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye in the popular Marvel movies, knows fear. He recently suffered a life-threatening and life-altering injury when he had a, a run-in with a snowplow uh, as he tried to save his nephew from being struck by this, the snowplow. His fear for his nephew's life overrode his concern for his own safety, and fear can do that sometimes. We have to weigh and balance the, what, what we're more afraid of, and we can use that for a, a good situation. But in an interview one time many years ago, Renner said that when he was young, he recognized that fear was the most powerful of all his emotions, right? And so he made a decision that he didn't want to let fear run his life. So from age 22 to 32, he tried to do one thing each day that he was afraid of. He used that fear to grow. Carl Jung says, find out what a person fears most, and that is where he will develop next. It's in the places of our fear where we can grow in faith as Christians, we can take that similar intentional approach to dealing with our fears, using these times as a way to learn to lean into our faith and trust God, knowing, believing that God loves us and that God wants us to come to him for everything we need. What are you afraid of right now in your life? What is threatening to overwhelm you in your life? And what might happen if you took a breath and became still and gave it to God? God often uses our points of fear to show us his power and love and to grow our faith. This is when we learn to really see that faith is stronger than fear because faith tells us that God is able to care for us in all circumstances and that God wants to care for us in all circumstances. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. Thanks be to God. Amen.